0: It's good to be here, isn't it? You know, Really just so great together. And if you missed out last weekend, I'm genuinely sad that you did. Uh, Hopefully you've had a taster. And when we do that kind of thing again, which I'm sure we will, uh, don't miss out. Um, But happy autumn, 1st October. Can you believe we've got to October? We're writing 10 for the month of the year. How does that happen? Um, How does our sun get to 30 last week? Uh, and all of those things. And um, elephants, I, just sometimes in church life, been lo- around long enough to know, that sometimes something kind of is, gets birthed by accident. And um, I, I just there might be a small prize for somebody who most creatively can come up next week with, what, so what does the elephant course look like? Uh, just I'm kind of intrigued to know what that will be, and I won't be running it. Um. Gosh, so good. Uh, greetings to from Andrew Nikki there with a small team over in Bream Church in the forest where uh, they're having a bit of a church weekend. These wonderful saints kind of gathering in that place and Hills and I were there on, on uh, Friday night with, with Adam and um, Hannah and uh, just a lovely sense of the presence of the Lord. Saints gathering to encounter God, be transformed by his love just as we are doing, uh, I hope, week by week here. So good. So yes, uh, yeah, quite, quite nervous about today, really, as we, as we launch into uh, this series that's been kind of much anticipated, but um, I hope it's kind of a holy anticipation about what God is going to do, how he's going to take us on a bit of a journey. And I'd love to actually to let the Word of God have the first word. I hope the Word of God always has the first place, uh, but I'm just going to go straight into a scripture. I'm just going to ask us to stand again, if that's okay, uh, something about honoring the Word of God and feels appropriate. Um, It's a couple of passages from Isaiah. Uh, the first one, very familiar from Isaiah 6. It'll be up on the screen. And uh, let's just take a breath and then I'll read. In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord high and exalted, and seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, and the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And just another few verses from Isaiah, a few few chapters later in, in chapter 11. There's this prophetic declaration that a Messiah will come. Of course, the identity then inhabited by Jesus. It says this, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, here from the family line, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And this, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he, this coming one, he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Do take a seat. Powerful passages. Uh, did you know that there hasn't been a Christian revival in England for over 150 years? You probably did know that. Uh, I hadn't kind of clocked that until John was talking about revivals here last week John colds a little bit. And uh, he was telling us about the amazing outpouring of God's power uh, in Northern Ireland, remember, in the 1860s. You know, I can already see that I'm in trouble. I'm so so. I did this on Bream on Friday night. I looked at my notes, thought, how, is, how have they shrunk?" <laughs> Not going to quite look so good on camera online, but I'm um, just, just about secure enough to cope with that. Um, <laughs> The 1860s, 100,000 people uh, came to faith, the most beautiful outpouring. My own great-grandfather, beautifully, he he was a preacher in the Welsh revival at the very beginning of the 1900s, 1904, I think. So I've got a little bit of Welsh blood, and I admit it when it suits me to do so. There was an inspiring move of God in uh, the late 19th century that sparked mission around the world, you know, sort of uh, Moody and all of that, amazing. But the last revival on any scale in the, whole, in the whole of the British Isles, it wasn't in England, it was in Scotland, you probably know this, soon after the World War II. Duncan Campbell, a preacher, he was in a church in Northern Ireland, and, and he's just about to get up to speak when he has this strong sense that the, that the Lord is saying to him, you've got to get out of here, you've got to get on a boat and you've got to go to the Hebrides, So he goes to the conference organizer and explains this, and the conference organizer, clearly a man of God or a woman of God, says, yes, okay, well, if that's the Lord, then you better do it. So they organize a boat, he travels, Uh, the message is sent ahead, and on the 7th of December, 1949, he's met in the Hebrides by a couple of ministers, a couple of elders in the local church there. And one of them, his first question, according to Campbell's diaries, Mr. Campbell, are you walking with God? And Campbell replies in his story, Well, I could see here that, they were, that these were two men who meant business, quite like that. And he replied to them, Well, all I can say is that I fear God. And they said to him, through the wind and the rain, and it always raining in the Hebrides, Well, if you fear God, that will do. And you probably know the story Campbell preached, the glory of God fell, uh, people. Uh, in in, in the succeeding days and weeks, just found themselves almost wherever they were, in a church building or not in a church building, plowing in the fields, on the streets, in their homes, just falling to their knees under the conviction and the power and the presence and the the grace and the love of God. And the cry went up to the church leaders, please open up more buildings because we've got to get in and we, we need to start praying and repenting. And there's this community just saturated with God's presence and power and conviction and love and buildings not able to contain what God is is pouring out. I don't know if that stirs you. It would have to be pretty hard-hearted for us not to be stirred by that. And I know that the word revival sometimes gets misused or used loosely, whatever. We could quibble over the exact kind of you know, definitions and whatnot. But I want to be part of a church in a nation that is longing and yearning and praying and crying out and on our knees for that kind of move of God, that kind of explosive power of God on that kind of scale in this nation. That's what I'm wanting and that hunger is growing. And I know it's already in so many of us and, and so many across the church and it's exciting And that actually, ultimately, just as I get going on this series, is one of the reasons why we're doing the series. Actually, ultimately, if we want to see revival in our day, we need this. Part of that is we need more of the fear of the Lord. We'll see why. We've seen some wonderful moves of the Holy Spirit of God in our lifetime, in, in a lifetime might uh, as long as mine. I'm 33 years old. In renewing uh, different aspects of the church, in, 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 the, in a rediscovery of the gifts of the Spirit, in a rediscovery that it's all about everybody gets to play, all member ministry, all that kind of thing, in understandings and experiences of the, of the heart of the Father through Toronto and other things, all of that. But to see revival in this nation, in, in the UK, which always comes through God's praying people, we need renewing in prayer first and foremost, but we also need renewing in all the dimensions of our, the way that we relate to God, but not least and explicitly in this one, in the fear of the Lord, that we'll be able to say along with Duncan Campbell, all I can say is, yeah, I fear God. I'm walking in the fear of God. I have a right fear of God. And we can say as a church, Trinity Church, yes, we have a right fear of the Lord, Linked to that, then second, while we're doing the series, is that there's been this growing kind of consensus, and so many of you of us, have, have we, we've kind of borne witness to it, beginning to bear witness to it, seeing that this is what the Lord is calling us to. If we could have the next couple of slides up, Jacob. Please. He's calling it to us. Why the fear of the Lord? We need it. Second, the Lord is calling us to it. Hills and I were in America a couple of years ago. We were at a conference. There was a very well-known prophetic church leader with absolutely no hype who was saying in that moment that... The next move of God would be associated with an increased fear of the Lord amongst his people. And that voice has only grown since. It's one of the, the, it was one of the flavors of the Asbury College uh, experience earlier this year, wasn't it? It's been a key strand in the vineyard movement, in new wine too, in the 24-7 prayer movement, at wildfires too this year, where their top priorities coming, they, they, quote, coming together to seek God, to fan into flame the next great awakening, which is just a different word for revival, and with the rediscovery and the re-embracing of the fear of the Lord as a key aspect of how we pray and how we relate to the great awakener. Our songwriters have caught on, or maybe they got there first, they often do. Prophetic songwriters, this beautiful song that we're singing, Holy Forever, one of a number of songs that the Lord just seems to have birthed in this country and elsewhere around this theme. The Lord is doing something. So thrilled that we're kind of catching on to it. John and Anne last week, they didn't know that we are going to do this series. They didn't know that I was going to start with Isaiah 6 this morning. And where did John end his message last week? With, with this strong encouragement and urge that so we've got to kind of allow the Holy Spirit to work back into us something that is a key part of our relationship with God, which is the fear of the Lord. And that church growth, actually, and multiplication and fruitfulness in mission, he was drawing attention to a particular part of the scripture where that happened... Because of the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, Acts 9.31, a verse we'll come to know well, and the fear of the Lord. I think we're really kind of familiar with this one, a bit less familiar with this one. What church multiplication, church growth because of the fear of the Lord, really? So we're paying attention, aren't we? The third reason linked to that, of course, to the previous two, is frankly for far too long we've just missed this. I think we've missed it. That may be an exaggeration, but I'm going to say it over myself, we've missed it. I'm sad for playing my part in this, actually. But the fear of the Lord, in my view, has been understudied, certainly by me, undertaught, certainly by me, underrated, probably, at least in part of or at least in the part of our church, as far as I can see. And just a couple of things to unpack that. Sometimes the, sw- the pendulum swings too far. By the way, I'm setting the scene this morning. I hope you get that, as is right to do. But sometimes the pendulum swings too far. I showed this picture, if we could have the picture of that beautiful uh, bit of mountain, uh, Jacob. You, you know this, it's Striding Edge, Hell the Lake District, scene of epic adventures in June this year, where a bunch of us were climbing. Actually, not this mountain, but one a bit like it. I've showed this picture a few years ago, Striding Edge there. Uh, and, and the point is that there's a pathway right along the edge, and, and, and that's the kind of the good path and the true path. The problem is that you can fall off in either direction. And Theologically and spiritually, many of us in my generation uh, and earlier, if we miss the true biblical path about all kinds of things, walking faithfully and freely with Jesus, it will be likely to be in the direction of what I've summarized as legalism. Again, if we go the next slide. It's kind of shorthand for, uh, you're familiar with my religious parrot on my shoulder, uh, if you've been around messages I've given before. That it, it's shorthand for all the whispers of the religious parrot that go, do more, try harder, pull your socks up. If you want to please God, you've really got to behave a little bit better than you are at the moment. You're not quite holy enough, Tim. You're not quite pure enough. You're not quite good enough. Uh, but if you could just sort yourself up, out a bit more, then God would bless you a bit more and use you a bit more. That kind of mess all of that stuff. And okay, beautifully in the the, the last period of time, it feels as though one of the things the Holy Spirit of God has done is to to reveal that as religious nonsense. That's the religious spirit, not the Holy Spirit. And we're so great. I'm so grateful for that. My parrot is still alive, but he squawks a lot less. (laughs) And I pay a little less attention to him. So yeah, we rejoice that The father doesn't love me because I do X, Y, and Z. No, no, the father loves me full stop. And I can't earn that, and I don't deserve it, and I can't buy it, much as I might want to try. God's not selling. Grace is scandalously free. I'm a royal son. I'm a royal daughter of the king, if I've given my my yes to him. I'm seated at his table. I'm made to enjoy him, and all that was won for me at Calvary. I'm not waiting for anything more to to be won for me. All of that is true, and we love it, and we stand in it, and we rejoice in it. But that fresh emphasis, like a lot of pendulums, can sometimes go the other way, can't it? And I wonder whether that means for those coming into church and into to Christian faith in the last two or three decades, not from those kind of religious backgrounds, not with religious parrots on, on your shoulder, whether you're young or old, that there's a danger of hearing, or actually mishearing, messages of grace as the opposite. I call it license, just to give it a word over-interpreting. If on the left-hand side we're saying we're overstressing obedience as the, the necessary condition for pleasing God, on the right-hand side we're probably under-stressing obedience as the natural outworking of relationship with the Lord. And so we hear it as, well, God's love isn't dependent on what I do or what I don't do, praise God, so it doesn't really matter then how much I Live in obedience to him, how obedient I am, how I'm under grace, not law now, so he's forgiven me anyway, I'm on my way to heaven, etc., etc. Those kinds of things. That's a distortion, isn't it? Equal and opposite distortion. And what does it tend to lead to, by the way? It tends to lead to a pretty self centered discipleship, where actually it's not really about God, it's much more about me and what God can do for me. And if I'm free and I'm loved, well, why would I choose anything too costly or sacrificial? I don't need to impress God, so why would I, why would I do that? And we can end up with a, with a view of God that is incredibly small, a focus on me and my needs, and a view of God that is very small, which is all about him being my helper and my, my friend and all those things that we enjoy about him, my pastor, my comforter. That is not grace at all. Uh, Pete was, was referencing uh, an album that, that Redmond wrote years ago called The Friendship and the Fear. And, um, and we, we love the friendship. And I wonder if we've slightly put brackets around the, the fear. This series, friends, is not about us primarily. It really isn't. It's about the Lord. This series is about the Lord. It's not primarily about us. It's about who the Lord is. And sure, then what follows from that secondarily, how we respond to him, how we relate to him, and how that then works out in our lives. And one of the very best testimonies I think that we could hear by the end of this series is from people who say, I know the Lord better. That would be my prayer. I know the Lord better. Let's be praying that we are not really called to pursue the fear of the Lord. We're not pursuing the fear of the Lord. We're pursuing the Lord. And in pursuing the Lord and in knowing him better and in, 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 in trying to do some digging and, and unearthing and revealing and praying that the spirit of revelation would give us a greater revelation of the Lord, we will find that the fear of the Lord, the right fear of the Lord is, is a product of that. hope that makes sense. So it might look from time to time as if we're, we're looking at something called the fear of the Lord and unpacking and exploring that. Well, to some extent, yes, we are. But we're not kind of pursuing that. We're pursuing the Lord. Please hear that. What we believe, what comes into our mind, said Tozer, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Wow. What we believe. It's a question I find myself asking often, myself and others. I asked it on Elephant on Thursday last Thursday night. Elephant One got going. Element the element got another lovely bunch of people were trying to dig in, and I asked this question: How do you come to believe what you believe? How do you come to believe what you believe? What you think about almost anything. It's a fair question, isn't it? Because we make so many assumptions about things. How do we come to believe? How, let me pick a couple of you know, big ones. How, how, what do you believe about gambling? And why do you believe that? What do you believe about abortion? And why do you believe that? What do you believe about uh, how to raise healthy kids? And why? What do you believe about Satan? What do you believe about pornography? etc., etc.? What do you believe about this thing? And why? You'll have some thoughts about those, but where have they come from? Where, the, where do our convictions come from? A whole bunch of possibilities, background, education, parents' culture, TikTok, social media, uh, rational thinking, tradition, church tradition, and, and on and on and on. And the Bible will feature in there. I'm guessing in a crowd like this. The Bible. Where do I find truth? And if you're somebody who says all of those sources matter, but they are all subject to the truth of the word of God as revealed by his spirit in the scriptures, if you're the kind of person who says that or wants to aspire to say that more truly of yourself as a follower of Jesus, who himself treated the scriptures as the authoritative word of God, then how is it, coming back to the specific of today, that we've kind of missed this? The fear of the Lord so much. How, how, how come we've missed that? exploring something biblically that is so fundamental in the way that we see and know and relate to God. There are more scriptures referencing the fear of the Lord than there are about compassion, than there are about grace, than there are about comfort, than there are about forgiveness. I could go on. Would you have guessed that? Depending on your count, something like over 300 different references. I'm just going to dismiss in a sentence something which, again, we'll couple, all of these things will, will, are threads which I'm setting running and they'll, they'll be picked up in, in, in weeks to come. But just to, to raise one and dismiss it, this is just consistent right across the scriptures. Let, let's, let's, not be, let's be shutting the door on the idea that this is some kind of Old Testament thing only in the way that we had to relate to God. But praise God, because of Calvary and Pentecost where the Spirit's poured out and we can know intimacy with God and personal relationship, all that kind of fear stuff is ditched. no. There's plenty of fear in the, of the Lord consistently right across uh, both covenants. It's Brighton Rock. You, you break it, you find the fear of the Lord there. C.S. Lewis said it's normal Christian life. The fear of the Lord is normal Christian life. So if it's not normal for you and for me, then something is missing that we need to pay attention to. Something is blocking something. There's something awry in the way that we're relating to God that we need to ask the Spirit to help us with. Another person said rather bluntly if there's no fear of the Lord in your view of God, your view of God is false. Well, wow. Orthodox Jews pray. For more fear of the Lord because for them it's a sign of being rightly aligned with God and his, and his purposes and filled with his spirit. And by the way, there is in Isaiah 11, prophetically, evidence of the work of the spirit, evidence of the spirit on somebody, indeed on the Messiah, Jesus himself, the evidence of the spirit on him would be a fear, in the, a, a fear of the Lord and a delight in a fear of the Lord. Well, if it was true of Jesus the Messiah, how much more of us? Is is that an evidence in our life that is showing? I'm guessing some of us already and have been asking some fairly obvious questions. So what actually are we talking about? What is the fear of the Lord? I'm pretty sure that question's bubbling up a little bit. I'm not quite sure I know what it is. Do you you know what it is? Have you heard of this? There's that. Uh, What isn't it? What does it do that is so delightful? What does it produce in us? How do we kind of grow in it and flourish under it? All those kinds of questions, they're all coming up. Well, it, there's a point to this being a series, not a one-off. <laughs> Can I just encourage us, friends, family here, that we really commit to this, that we kind of stick with this, that we go with this for a few weeks, well, for the rest of our lives, but here in this context, that we kind of run with it. Because... Um, <coughs> There's so much to chew here, so much to, to get hold of. If you miss a Sunday, can I really, really, really encourage you to watch back before you, you know, get, get to the next Sunday? And in groups, can you be chewing this? Put on your own time. Even if you're not in a group, how about finding some resources? We'll put some on the, on the, uh, up for us to, to feed on and so on. And let's be praying. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just begin. I'll just throw out one or two things, some tasters, just for a, a short while. About, uh, starting with what? Just something about what is the fear of the Lord. And, and, the, and the thing is here, and I think it's God's design, there is no neat Bible passage <laughs> that says, here's the fear of the Lord. You want to study the fear of the Lord? Great. Here you are. Turn to, you know, Nigel chapter 5. And Nigel chapter 5 doesn't exist. We'll reference a good number of scriptures, of course. But we're, we're, like again, I say, we're not talking about an object, the fear of the Lord, like a tree that we're just going, going to kind of turn to and examine and describe. My, my, the image that came to me was more like a series of mountains. You know those beautiful images you get? A series of hills receding one after the other. I think I've got a picture of one, Jacob. Uh, uh, something to explore, uh, some layers to be revealed. Fear of the Lord is not about a single text. It's not even about somebody pointing, like me pointing, going, there it is. It's an invitation into a relational journey. It's a relational word. That's why it's kind of complex and a little bit elusive. But there's So we need revelation and we need, we need to go for that depth. But today in the foreground, at the very least, we started with Isaiah 6. So there's a starting point. And what words would you use about the fear of the Lord if you're re- imagining yourself in Isaiah's incredible vision of, of the Lord? as he sees the Lord high and lifted up, a vision that causes him, as it were, to sink to his knees, to hide his face from God, to say, I'm ruined. What words would you associate with that? They would be words like awe and reverence and honor and wonder and worship and adoration simply in the presence of who this God is. And there may well be other words, but those are a bunch of words that are sure part of all of this, both in this passage and in all the evidences of, of the, the fear of the law being worked out. And let's notice, not get too bogged down on a neat dictionary, you, you could look it up in a dictionary, I could tell you a dictionary de- what the dictionary definition says, I'm not sure that helps us very much, because we want to, this, this is something more relational. So let's consider the effect here of the fear of the Lord in Isaiah. And here in Isaiah, in this passage and elsewhere, there's a combination of two dynamics going on at the same time. And they seem to be opposites, but they're not. Hills helpfully drew attention. So often in, 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 the, in the culture, we're invited to extremes. This or that. You can have that or that, but not both. No, we're invited to hold a whole load of tensions together. And here's one of them. You don't solve attention, you manage attention, remember. On the one hand, it seems like Isaiah would want to run away and hide because this vision is so majestic, so overwhelming, it makes him conscious of who he is, a vulnerable creature in the presence of his creator. Can you even begin to imagine that? (sighs) Too much. At the same time, he doesn't run away. It's so compelling, it's so majestic, it's so powerful, there's something attractive, he's drawn to it. And at the end of the passage, you know, he even ends up having this kind of conversation to some extent with God and goes, Here I am, Lord, send me. Committed to it. There's a push and a pull. Think Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. You know that beautiful bit? Peter says, Is he safe? And Mr. Badger, is it Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Badger, says, No, safe? Of course he's not safe there's danger here, there's something a bit scary, there's something powerful and majestic and otherly, but he is good, so Peter doesn't run away, there's a right fear, there's an attractiveness, there's both. Any image is incredibly inadequate here. So so forgive what might be a pretty lame example, but I remember coming here years and years ago, and I had a friend who chastised me for not loving horse racing. So the one and only time I've ever been up to the race course was this friend who dragged me there. And it was one of those race courses where you could actually walk on the course and you could go to the first fence. And he did, he dragged me right up to the first fence, virtually within touching distance of it. And I had no idea what to expect. And suddenly we hear this thunderous sound. I was actually pretty amazed. And it got louder and louder and louder. And it's one of the races where there are a lot of horses. And I've never seen a racehorse close up, let alone 30, let alone running like that. And I was within touching distance. And honestly, the, the ground literally began to shake. And, these, and the noise was incredible, so much louder than I'd imagined. I couldn't hear myself speak. And the speed and the color and the drama as 30 horses whizzed by. And there's a part of me going, I've got it. Whoa, I'm too close. This is too much. Uh, there's something, uh, I'm, I'm in danger here. And yet, there was something unbelievably exciting about it. And I sort of stood my ground, and it was compelling and, and attractive. And forgive the lameness of the, of the analogy, but there's something of those two dynamics going on. Can I be even, even more crass and, and reduce them to two simple words? There's a whoa, too much. And there's a wow. Right on cue. Need a moment of light relief, actually. Do you know the name of Isaiah's horse? Is me. Because he said, whoa, is me." <laughs> yeah, Cl- Clive, Clive, Clive knew that. We, yeah, we oldies, we, st- we stick together. Christopher Lee apparently met Sauron, uh, sorry, Christopher Lee played Sauron, the actor played Sauron in The Lord of the Rings and he met Tolkien, this living legend who wrote it, and he said, I just felt like kneeling. (coughs) William Seymour, blind in one eye, leader of the church in the Sousa Street, from which the Pentecostal movement, 500 million roughly, uh, was birthed, extraordinary story. He would preach from this pulpit made of packing crates apparently and when the glory of God fell in that place, consistently he would just take cover. He he would hide. He wouldn't run away, but he'd kind of take cover. Something of this, whoa, and yet, wow, that is inspired by the presence of the Lord. I wonder if you've had any kinds of encounters, experiences, responses, reactions like that to the presence of the Lord. I would love to be bringing a bunch of testimonies to you. I've even put in my notes here, TG, question mark, which means space for a story. I'm going to be really honest with you, friends. Not a lot came to mind that would be worth telling here. Exodus 20, 20, I need to wrap this up. One of the very early references to the fear of the Lord. Moses captures something of this dynamic in what he says here. He says this, don't be afraid to the people. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. There it is, right there, the tension, okay? Don't be afraid so that you can fear God. I mean, you wanna talk about what looks like oxymorons? We've gotta got get our heads around this early, friends. Uh, this, these two things hang together here. This is not the fear of, I'm terrified, I'm frightened of something bad, I've got to run away, I'm scared. Just don't be scared of Aslan, he's good. This is good fear. We always tend to think of fear as bad. Andrew will say more about this next week. And there's so much fear that is bad, and we want to be rid of it. And Jesus encourages us 365 times in the Bible, don't fear, because so much fear is bad. So many of our lurking, you know, the things that drag us down are related to our fears, aren't they? The fear of man, the fear of not being popular, the fear of rejection, the fear of failing, the fear that God won't provide or he won't protect or whatever. And it's crippling. And it's caused by our lack of faith, our lack of security in who God is, our lack of confidence in his goodness. Those are bad fears. Then there's the good God-given fear, which is a kind of hardwired into us physically, which is an appropriate kind of caution about not getting hurt. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of getting burnt if I put my hand in a fire or my hand messed up if I put it in a meat grinder or if I fall off a cliff. That's appropriate God-given fear. It's kind of an alarm system that's helpful. And those people who think that it's cool not to have any of that kind of fear, well, they may not, but I bet you they've got a whole load of other fears lurking inside about who they think they are or or whatever. But this fear of the Lord is not any of that. Clearly, it's good. It's really, really good. It's right. It's beautiful. It's an awe and a reverence and an honor and respect and a worshipful posture of the heart precisely that is appropriate to the presence and the reality and the beauty and the love of God. So love and fear here are not in separate categories at all. It's not either or, it's not both and. In fact, they're even overlapping. The one is even an expression of the other. Just different facets of the way we respond to the nature of the Lord. And the Lord's nature is comprised of a whole load of different qualities and characteristics, interrelated, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his holiness, his majesty, his transcendence, to use that big word, the otherly word, as well as his imminence, the nearness word that we love. One more reference, Psalm 147 captures it like this, verse 11, the Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Love and fear, right there. Same sentence, same experience. Fearing God, experiencing God's love. Beautifully blended and interlinked. It's not fear over here, love over there. No, interconnected in terms of how we relate to him. And did you notice there's blessing attached to that as well? Psalm 147. His delight is in that. His delight is in those in that position. I couldn't just, throwing out a a teaser, I just couldn't resist drawing attention to that as one of the the things that seems to be produced when we relate to God in this way that attracts the nearness of God in this case that attracts the delight of God what attracts the delight of God? the fear of the Lord who wants to live under the delight of the Lord? yes please who wants to live uh, under all kinds of things that the Lord promises for which the condition seems to be to fear him I wonder if you've got any in your head I'm not going to reveal the cards right now (laughs) But I'm, I'm for sure going to encourage us to be, to be searching the scriptures. Andrew will say more about this and Hills and others preaching later in the series. I'm pretty sure that wisdom is one of them. I'm pretty sure that for quite a bunch of us are going, yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I want to be wise. Where, what's that linked to? Oh, yeah, the fear of the Lord. And we'll look at those kinds of things. But the fear of the Lord invites the nearness of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord in Exodus 20:20 20, 20, we just looked at it, that keeps the people from sinning. Say more about that too. How, how I want to have a fear of the consequences of not going God's way. That's a good fear to have, isn't it? That is a good fear to have. I'm married to the beautiful hills and I love her. And it's not that I'm frightened of her, but there is a fear in me of um, offending her or of dishonoring her, of disrespecting her. That is a good fear and contributes to me not doing or saying hopefully, the kinds of things that would mess up our relationship. Fear of the Lord. There's a good fear. There's bad fears. The fear of the Lord is good fear. Normal, biblical part of the way that followers of Jesus see and respond to the Lord as we encounter his presence and as we come to know him better. And nothing matters more than coming to know him better what we're praying for. May the Lord bless us as we go on this journey together.